But let me ask you all a question. When you were a kid, did you ever want a superpower? Like, did you ever dream about having a superpower? I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I would watch cartoons, and I'd be like, oh, man, I can feel my body changing. Like, it's happening, and oh, I'm going to fly, and then nothing, right? Like, but I would tell, like, my mom, I'd be like, mom, I think something's happening to my body. I think I'm getting superpowers. And she's like, uh, yeah, maybe, okay. Um, but what would you say, like, just yell it out. What, what's some of the best superpowers, ones that you would want to have? Fly. Flying, flying, that's a big one. That, that's a big one. Invisible. I would disagree with you that that's one of the greatest superpowers. I, teleportation. Danielle just wants to get out of here. Um, and so here's the deal. Like, I honestly believe, like, I heard for a very long time, like, there's a lot of superpowers that people want to have. And I always heard invisibility. But I really don't believe that invisibility would be one of the greatest superpowers. Because I think if you were never truly seen, you would be miserable. I think if, if you weren't able to connect with other people and look other people in the eye and be with them and, and, and for them to really see you, I honestly believe you'd be miserable. Like, I think it'd be cool for a moment, but like, honestly, I think the worst superpower in the world would be invisibility. All right, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mark, come on, man. Just do better, Okay. I wish you were invisible right now. No, uh, <laughs> oh, Lord, please forgive me. I am so sorry. Um, but, and here's why. What, what happens to so many of us is some of us feel like we have that superpower in our relationships and in our relationship with God. We feel like, like for some reason, because life is hard and things are going on, that we feel like God doesn't actually see us. That he doesn't see what we're going through. He doesn't see the pain and some of the situations that, that we are going through. And I don't know about you, but when I feel invisible and when I feel like I don't exactly have what I need to do what I want to in life, I try to fabricate it. I try to start like grabbing things in my life to, to make it happen. In fact, I remember when we were kids, I had this vision of building a bike ramp. Like I had this incredible, like me and my friends were going to build this bike ramp and we were going to jump off their driveway down this little hill and it was going to be so cool. And we would go to our parents and be like, hey, do you guys have, like, can we get some supplies so we can build a legit ramp and so we can be ready to go? And our parents would be like, no, we're not giving you the supplies as a six-year-old to build a ramp. Like we're not doing that. We're not going to participate in that. And I felt like invisible. I felt like well, don't you see what I really want? Don't you see what I really need to be happy? And so what did I do as like most kids do? I went around the neighborhood and I stole from all of the neighbors the supplies that I thought I would need to build a ramp. I'd be like, oh, look, there's some plywood right there. They're not using that. Grab it. Go to the house. I'd be like, oh, we need some two by fours. We got to build this thing up. I'd just take them wherever I could find them. Right? I, was, I was unseen. I was invisible. And you know what happened when I tried to put together a ramp with things that I took from the neighborhood? As soon as we got on that ramp, I was like, here we go, I'm going to fly. And as soon as I went on it, the thing collapsed. I hit a board, flew over the handlebars, and slid down the hill on my face. Because I, I was so desperate to make something seen in my life, and because I felt invisible to those who were around me, I began to try to make it happen on my own. 
And so I don't know where you find yourself today, but you believe like somewhere in your theology of who God is that God sees everybody. But somehow we begin to believe that we're an exception, that somehow God doesn't see us. And I don't know like what you're dealing with as you walk into this room today, but there's probably a part of your life where you're just kind of like, God, where are you? Do you even see what's going on with my kids? Do you even see what's going on in my job? Do you even see what's going on in our country? Do you even see what's happening in the church? Do you even see how my marriage is falling apart? Am I invisible to you? I mean, how many of us have even felt like that with our culture and the church? And it feels like, God, do you even see what's happening right now? Like, where are you? Are we invisible to you? This is harder than we thought it was going to be. And so today, I really want us to hone in on this idea that if you feel invisible, you're truly not, and that God absolutely sees exactly what you need. But God's timing and the way God brings things into our life may differ. So we're going to study and look at this guy named Abraham. Abraham is one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of our faith. And listen, like he gets a lot of credit a lot of the time. Like people are very impressed with what Abraham did. And Abraham was very obedient in following God most of the time. But in some of the time when Abraham really felt invisible and when his wife Sarah really felt invisible to God, they walked down some paths that they really never should have. And so God has this kind of enormous vision for Abraham in his life. Let me just tell you something. When we feel seen, we will take the leap of faith. God calls Abraham out of his own country into this this place that he's never been. It's a land that that he hasn't been in in his life. And so Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 4 opens up the story this way. The Lord said to Abram, and let me just tell you, in the story, Abraham is going to be called Abram. Sarah is going to be called Sarai. Their names change after Isaac is born. Okay, but in the story, Abram is Abraham. So Abram, God talks to him and he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now that's a big deal. Anyone ever felt like you had to leave everything behind in order to walk where God wanted you to be? Sometimes God calls you to leave things behind because those things will never sustain you where you're going, and the only thing you have to rely on is him. And so God says, look, Abraham, here's what you're going to do. I need you to leave the people that you know, the place that you know, and the blessing that you've known in your father's household. And I'm going to call you to go to a new place. Now, how many of us, like, you're like, that's enough. Okay, I I signed up for Christianity Light. I don't like this stuff. I'm here for Christmas and Easter and feel good. And God says, but I want you to have an abundant life. An abundant life is generally not sitting on the sideline. I mean, do you guys ever want to, like, like, (laughs) on your epitaph one day to say, attended church? Or do you want it to say, believed God's vision for their life and changed the world? If you're going to be that kind of person, you got to believe that God sees you. And as you go to a foreign land, to a foreign people, without the blessing of the world, you're going to need to believe that God sees you. When you believe you're seen, you'll take the leap. Look at what the Bible continues with. This is what God promises Abram. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I mean, these words sound good, don't they? I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. God says, I got your back. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So, verse 4, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was about 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Here's the deal. Abram is called to this incredible vision in his life. Hey, I need you to go to a new land, a new place that you've never been before, and you're going to need to leave everything behind. But here's what I'm going to promise you. When you get to that new place, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you descendants, and I'm going to give you blessing. And those are the three parts of what we call the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And so what happens in this story is is God, throughout these next few chapters, Abraham and Sarah are going to get into a little bit of predicaments because I really believe that they feel invisible to God. I think they get to situations and moments in their life where they really don't feel seen by the Lord, and so they take matters into their own hands. Like, I don't know about you, but like, Abraham is 75 years old, and God's like, hey, I got a new assignment for you. I got a new place. And and some of you are like, I would never move, like, ever. Not even to like, at least I I might know where I'm going and have some people that you want me to go to a new land? That sounds like a lot of work. You want me to go to a new people and make a bunch of descendants? That sounds like a lot of work. Blessing sounds good, though. I like that. Okay. All right. So I'm in a little bit here. So what happens is, is Abraham shows this extraordinary faith to go do something that's nearly impossible that many of us would never think about doing because he feels seen by the Lord, that God sees him. And he says, hey, I know you're going to a new land, and God's promise to Abraham is that I will meet your need in the new place. You'll have descendants, you'll have land, and you'll have a blessing. And, And you'll be blessed, and the world will be blessed because of you. And over and over again throughout this story, God is going to keep reminding Abraham and Sarah of his promise to them. Because there's moments where they feel invisible, they they feel like things aren't going well. So Abraham and Sarah and Lot, they set out. They're on their way, they are leaving Haran, and they're on their way to the land of Cana. But on their way, they run into this place called Egypt. And real quick, Abraham looks and goes, this is a foreign land and a foreign people, and they don't seem too friendly, and so here's what we're going to do. Okay, Sarah, I know that you're my wife, but so no one will kill me. This is Abraham. So no one will harm me when we go into Egypt. Let's just tell everyone you're my sister. All right? Like that way, like there's not like no one's going to try to kill me to marry you or anything like that. So let's go into this new land where I see all of these people who are bigger than me. We don't have any money. We don't have anything to really offer. And so I don't want any trouble. And because I feel a little bit invisible to God right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pretend like you're my sister. And so Genesis chapter 12 verses 10 to 20 tells of this little story where Abraham and Sarah end up in Egypt. And they go through this trial in their life. And let me just tell you something. Trials make us feel invisible. 
Trials can really begin to help, like, make us feel like God doesn't see us and God doesn't see my needs and he doesn't know really what I'm going through and has he forgotten me? Somehow I have this superpower that God can see everyone in the world, but I don't feel like he sees me. And so what happens is, is Abraham goes, look, we got to come up with a plan because I don't know if I'm going to believe in the provision. And so Sarah, they get to the land. There's these guys who are watching the gates, some of the workers for Pharaoh in Egypt, and they see Sarah enter Egypt, and they're like, ho, ho, whoa, look at that girl. Who's this? Oh, her? She's my sister. Great. Awesome. Okay, good to know. So they run to Pharaoh, and they go, hey, this girl, Sarah, she's fine. Bro, you got to meet her. And he's like, oh, this sounds good. Okay, yeah, bring her, bring her to me. Like, she is good looking. And so Pharaoh goes, all right, well, bring her to me. And they begin to, so Sarah begins to live with Pharaoh in Pharaoh's house. But in order to bless Abraham, Pharaoh starts to give Abraham land and animals and influence and servants and all of these things. And Abraham begins to just live the lie. Abraham begins to just sit there and he really begins to settle for less. See, because here's the deal. When you feel invisible to God and that God doesn't really see the needs that you have in your life, then you will start to settle for the world's best rather than God's best. I mean, this isn't even that far in the journey. They've just left Haran, they get to Egypt, and all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, kind of go out the window. Hey, I said I'd make you a great nation, not that you would join a great nation. I said that you would have many descendants, not join many descendants. I said that I would bless you and everyone in the world would be blessed because of you, but you've just settled to be blessed by the world. And because you feel invisible, you go, this seems pretty good. Like, I don't know if God really sees me. Why wouldn't he divert my path? Why would I end up in Egypt? So does God really see my needs right now? Does God really see me? Man, this is a pretty good offer. So I am going to trade the call of God for the comfort of the world. Because I feel invisible right now, and this seems like the best deal I'm going to get. Let me ask all of us in this room. Like, we all, like, look at Abraham here and we go, come on, man. Like, it was just, a, like, a couple months ago. You heard from God. He spoke to you. And you get to Egypt and you forget everything. And you start settling in all of these areas of your life. And you're settling exactly in the areas of God's promise to you. Financial blessing, land, and workers, descendants. Do you see that the world gave Abraham a cheapened kind of, like, Walmart version of God's call. The world will do that to you, by the way. The world will give you a Walmart discount bin call in replace of God's. Because here's the thing. The enemy in the world recognize God's gifting and God's call on your life. And so they'll try to get you to settle for less because you feel invisible. So let me ask you just a question. Are you settling for a Walmart sale bin version of God's call on your life right now because you feel invisible you feel like man if I was really going to go where God called me to go I don't know if the provision is going to be there I don't know if God really sees my needs I'm not so sure about that 
So what happens is we settle. And let me ask you, like, where are you settling in your life right now? Where are you settling in your life because you haven't believed God's best for you because you feel invisible? Maybe in your marriage right now. Like, you're settled for we're not screaming at each other. I mean, we're not intimate with each other. We're not really friends, but there's no real wars going on. We're just silently living in a home together. Is that the marriage that you dreamed about when you said your vows? Maybe, you th- maybe your marriage has ended. And you're like, well, I feel invisible now. And, and you, when you were first dating and you were first in life, like you had some standards in your life. Like you said, like, he's got to be a believer. He's got to have six-pack abs, right? He's got to be good-looking, six-foot-two, brown hair, blue eyes. He's got to love the Lord. He's got to love kids. He's got to do all of these things. But as you've gotten into the Egypt of your life and things didn't go exactly the way that you thought that they were going to go, your standards drop. And now you're just like, if he hasn't murdered anyone, I'm good. And you're like, he's 5'2", he's 220, but in the wrong kind of way, and he doesn't have a job, but he hasn't killed anyone. And you're like, well, hey, what are you going to do? I just don't want to be alone. And I don't believe that God's going to provide the true person that I have set my heart and my standard upon, and so I'll settle for anything less. He didn't even go to church, but hey, at least he's nice. He pays for dinner, right? She speaks kindly to me. And we start to settle. What about in your relationship with your kids or your boss or your job or your career? Or maybe even your call to ministry. There's no doubt in my mind that there's people in this room that have been called to ministry. That because they felt invisible, because the enemy came against them in their life, they gave up on it. And so you're settling for second best in your life. And let me just tell you something. God has never called you to settle for second best in your life because you feel invisible. Never has God called us to do that. And that's exactly what Abraham begins to do in the story. He starts to settle for the Walmart version of Saks Fifth Avenue. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, they're both plaid shirts, but one is different than the other. And we go, well, I don't, okay. But do you know how expensive Saks Fifth Avenue shirts are? Yeah, do you know how hard it is to get there and do that and to like, do these things? And I'm not saying everyone in here is called a Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm just trying to use a good analogy. But why do you not believe that if God's called you to live that kind of life, why would you settle for less? And maybe that's why you're in discontentment. And then you feel more and more invisible to yourself and to others and to God. And so what happens here is Abraham is going to settle into the land and he's going to live there. He doesn't do anything. But then all of a sudden this famine strikes Egypt. Things go terribly wrong and the secret comes out. Sarah isn't your sister, is she? She's your wife. Abraham's like, um, yes, but she's my sister in Christ. Right? Like, you know, like he just goes like, yeah. And Pharaoh looks at at Abraham and goes, look, you got to get out of here. You have to leave this place because we have been cursed because of your behavior. Because of your decisions, we've been cursed and you got to go. And it really means something when people who aren't believing in God recognize something is wrong and the world calls you out. 
And here's the deal. Sometimes when you feel invisible, you will begin to settle. You will begin to, to settle in this life. You, you won't walk into what is going on because the trial makes you feel invisible and God will allow the facade of Walmart around you to crumble so that he can get you somewhere else. One of the best things that happened to Abraham and Egypt is God brought a famine because Abraham had to go. And some of you in this room, you feel invisible because some of the things in your life are going on around you are so terrible and you feel like God doesn't see me and God's saying, no, 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 no. I see you so much, I'm not gonna let you settle. And I know you're not gonna move without me moving. And so I'm gonna move. And so in this moment, he leaves and they leave the land and they go and Lot comes with them. And then Abraham and Lot decide like, hey, we need to separate. We don't need to hang out together. So you like, there's some land here. God shows them the land. And he goes like, look, you go that way. I'll go this way. Abraham goes north. Lot goes south. And as things go bad in this city called Sodom and Gomorrah, you heard of Sodomites? Sodomy? comes from that great city. When they name something terrible after your city, it's not a great place. Lot ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, look, bro, Abraham, you're going to need to go rescue Lot. He's in a bad place. And I'll take you, if you ever come with us to Israel, I will take you to the gate that Abraham had to walk through to go get Lot. There's a gate in the city of Dan, tell Dan, which, where all these springs are that feed the Jordan River, which feeds the Sea of Galilee, which then goes back into the Jordan River. Sodom and Gomorrah is in modern-day Jordan. And so Abraham was living kind of in Lebanon, current Lebanon. And he had to go from Lebanon all the way down, and the only way to get from there to Sodom and Gomorrah was to go through this gate in the city of Dan. If you ever come with us to Israel, we're going in October, by the way. You can still jump on if you want. I will take you to that gate. This isn't just a bunch of stories that are made up. This is real life. And so Abraham has to go and rescue Lot, and he does. And he gives Lot some land, and he blesses Lot. And then Abraham has a conversation with God. God reminds him of the call again one more time. And Abraham has this conversation with God that, that he's like, I, I'm not seeing how this is going to work out. I feel pretty invisible to you. You keep saying nice things to me, but there, I'm not, my needs aren't being met to have this happen, and I'm feeling pretty alone. And so the Bible picks up in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Look at what the Bible says. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram goes like, how do I know that this is going to happen? What, what needs to go on? And this is what God says to Abraham. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And you go, man, that's an incredible vision to have. But see, Abraham feels so invisible that he's honest with God. You ever felt so invisible you start to get real honest with God? Abraham says this, but Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one, and the one who, you, who will inherit my estate, is it Eliezer of Damascus? Is it, like, who is it? Like, and Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. See, 
Abraham, because he doesn't see God's work in his life, he doesn't see what God is doing in his life, begins to feel invisible again. And because he feels invisible again, he starts to try to rearrange things in the story. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. And God gets real specific. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he, recite, uh, and he credited to him as righteousness. But notice what Abraham does when he feels invisible. Because he's like, all right, I already left Egypt. Now I'm in this land. And now my, my, I had to go rescue Lot in this godforsaken place. So I give him a little bit of land. I give him a little bit of blessing. But man, I don't, I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like you're holding up on what you said was going to happen. I feel invisible and I feel like you don't see my needs. And God says, no, you are my great, like I, I am your great reward. I am your protector. I am going to shield you and take care of you. And Abraham goes, okay, so I guess I need to reimagine God's vision. Right? That's exactly what happens. See, when we feel invisible, don't reinterpret the promise. That's exactly what Abraham does. He looks and goes, all right, so I have no kids. I'm kind of in the land. How are we going to do this? I don't understand. Oh, by descendants, you meant like from my household. Well, my servants are part of my household, so it must be my main man, Eleazar. Eleazar's been my servant for a long time, so that's the dude. And Abraham starts to settle, and Abraham starts to see that, that like, hey, I don't really want to be disappointed. I feel like things are failing. I feel invisible. I feel like you don't see my needs, and so maybe you're doing it in a different way. And how many of us in this room, when things aren't working out exactly the way that you thought God was going to do it, you start to reinterpret what God said? God wants you to have an incredible family, but have you met my kids? They don't behave. They don't listen. They're disrespectful. They throw fits. Oh, you mean their kids? What about my marriage? God, I don't understand. I don't understand, like, why, why isn't this happening? Why, why isn't, like, the first year of marriage, like, why isn't the intimacy there just all of the time? Like, I don't get it. We don't seem to talk. We're in the same bed, but we might as well be miles apart. I don't get it. Maybe this is what I need to settle for now. Maybe that's what you meant. A good marriage is one that just stays together, I guess. And then we start settling and settling and settling. We start to reinterpret the promises of God. And notice what God did as soon as Abraham reinterpreted the vision. He says, no, it's not Eleazar. You will have a son. Abraham's like, oh, okay, cool. All right, I just needed a little pick-me-up. I just needed you to see me just for a minute. I just needed you to see me because, you know, I was getting a little scared. And God did the gracious thing. He keeps reminding Abraham of the promise and gets more specific along the way. So what happens is, is Abraham, well, he and Sarah, they get impatient. Anyone in here ever get impatient with God's call in your life, with the blessings that are to come in your life? You're like, man, I just want them. I, it's like me when I was a kid building the ramp. 
A really cool ramp could have been a blessing, but because I built it with not what I needed because I didn't feel seen, it turned into a curse, like I almost knocked my front teeth out kind of curse, right? And I took the world's best that it could offer me, and it wasn't enough. And so what happens here is Abraham and Sarah, they, they get a little bit impatient. Can anyone relate to that? See, because here's the deal. Abraham was 75 years old when he got called. And where we end up in the story, it's been 10 years. Some of you may have been waiting longer than that for God's promise in your life. It's been 10 years. 10 years of trial, of heartache. Can you, like some of you can imagine in this room, and I know how hard this is. You tried for kids for 10 years. And every month was a disappointment. And you went through 120 months of disappointment. Abraham and Sarah are doing the same thing. They have this promise, but it seems to be invisible. There's no no baby. It's been hard. And so Abraham and Sarah begin to do what so many of us try to do. When you feel invisible, you cannot try to force it. That's exactly what happens to Abraham and Sarah. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, look at what happens. This is a pivotal moment in world history. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. We're in the same place we, we were. But, when she had, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the world has kept me from having children Go sleep with my slave, perhaps, and perhaps I can build a family through her. What's incredible about this is Abram agreed to what Sarah had said, and this language is indicative of the fall in Genesis. God goes, hey, we've heard this story before. We've heard this kind of like compromising because you feel invisible, because you don't feel seen, because you, you could be like God, but you're not God, you'll compromise. And so here's what happens. It doesn't go well, as you can imagine. Abraham agreed. And so after Abram had been living in Cana 10 years, 120 months of disappointment, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Well, they did it God's way, right? Well, at least they got married. Hmm. How many of us have tried to do things God's way and it may be the right thing to do the wrong time to do it or the wrong way to do it? See, because God's way of doing things is not just like what you do, but how you do it and when you do it. And so here's what happens. So she gives Hagar to, in, uh, to Abram, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Can you imagine the kick to the gut that must have been? I've been trying for over 10 years. I've had 120 months since you gave me a promise, and I haven't seen any provision or anything come out of this. And then I give my slave girl to my husband, and she conceives immediately. How invisible must Sarah feel to God right now? Like, why is that for her and not for me? You gave us the promise, not her the promise. You gave us the promise. But Sarah began to reinterpret the promise and goes, oh, you must mean Abraham's bloodline and I must not be a part of that. But I'm so desperate to have a kid, I'll do whatever I can to make that happen. But how many of us know things like that don't go well? And 
As soon as this happens, when she knew she was pregnant, this is Hagar, she began to despise her mistress. She began to despise because she, she's like, you're going to try to take my kid. You're going to try to make this happen. You're going to overwhelm me, and I want my baby. But then not only does that happen, but then Sarah gets jealous. She gets angry, and she starts to treat Hagar with such disregard and disrespect and anger. Could you understand that? I always say this. It's understandable, not excusable. I could get how mad you'd be. I could get how upset you'd be. I could get how let down you'd be. I, could, I can get all of that. I get it. Doesn't make it okay. And so Hagar goes, you know what? I'm sick of this place. I'm sick of your attitude. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm going. I'm going to another place where you aren't. Where are you headed? Anywhere that you aren't. I'll go anywhere in the world. Just not where you are. And so Hagar begins to feel invisible too. She begins to feel like God doesn't necessarily see her. Why would this happen? Why would it go like this? Why would my, my, my mistress or, or why would Sarah treat me like this? Like what is going on? I feel so invisible, so I'm just gone. I'm leaving. And as Hagar is leaving, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar. And I love it because I think it's kind of sarcastic, okay? But the angel of the Lord shows up and he goes, where are you coming from? She's like, huh, where are you coming from? Where are you going? Hagar answers. She goes, my mistress is just like, Sarah, she's treated me so poorly. I can't do this anymore. I got to go. I'm invisible here. And I don't even know if God sees me. And when the angel of the Lord shows up for you, you know God sees you. When the message of the word of the Lord shows up for you, God sees you. When you hear the word of God preached and proclaimed and it speaks directly into your life, God sees you. And the angel says, look, I know it's pretty bad, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back. I need you to go back. And you know what happens out of this story is this young man named Ishmael is born. Ishmael is the oldest son to Abraham and Hagar. Now, Abraham has another son named Isaac. And it's at this point in the word of God that two major world religions split. You've heard of them. This is where Judeo-Christian religion and Islam split. It's right here. It's in this moment when we tried to force it, when we tried to make it happen, when we didn't have exactly what we needed, and we tried to use the world's best to make something happen. Hagar was the world's best at that point. There's no, you know, infertility clinics. There's no doctors like that. This is the best that the world had was to go sleep with one of your wife's servants. And it had disastrous consequences because the world's way and standards will never equal the call of God. And when we feel invisible, we'll start compromising. We'll start trying to force it. And so what happens here is God says, look, you need to go back. And I want you to see something both the sin in Eden and the sin here, the, the issue that they're dealing with is not, this isn't a sin to doubt. Doubting is not a sin. It's how you respond to doubt will determine what goes on. In Eden and here, they decided to run from the presence of the Lord. So if you're doubting in this room, that's completely okay. Because here's what I believe. I believe if you're a doubter, then you're probably a truth seeker. And if you're really seeking the truth, I really believe you'll find God. 
That's how I found him. If you're really trying to seek the truth, he is the way, the truth, and the life. So if you seek the truth, I believe you'll find Jesus. You're in a good place if you're seeking. But what happens here is Hagar, she goes back and Ishmael is born and things get a little bit better. But God reminds them one more time, like, hey, look, like this isn't the way it was supposed to be. This isn't the way that, that it's supposed to happen. And so, see, what happens is when we force it, there are disastrous consequences. So I'm going to show you a video here in just a second. This happened, Piper, my oldest daughter's probably two or three in this video. Now, Kelsey wanted me to preface this to you, okay? Because she's like, everyone's going to think I'm a bad mom. I'm like, no one thinks you're a bad mom, okay? All right? But here's the deal. So we have two littles, Piper and Tatum. We have four kids now, but at this point we have two. Uh, Piper, is, Piper and Tatum are only 14 months apart. Yeah, pray for us. The Lord is good. Teenage years are coming. We're already in that preteen phase. It's super great. If, you're, if you have children and you're not in that phase yet, you've got a lot to look forward to. It's awesome. Um, but I'm going to believe in God's vision and provision in my life. And so Piper, she's about two years old, and Kelsey gave Piper the promise of Jell-O. How many of you would do anything for Jell-O? You're like, Jell-O? Yeah, what kind? Doesn't even matter. I'm in. But how many of you know that, that one of the things that makes us feel so invisible is time? Time makes you feel invisible in your life. It's been 10 years for Sarah and Abraham, so they try to force it. Well, you all know when you're making jello, it's just water with coloring and sugar if you don't let the gelatin set. All right? So Kelsey gives Piper this promise jello is coming. Piper's like, I'm stoked. I can't wait. This is such a blessing. Uh, I'll have many descendants because like, there's a great land and a great promise. But there's a problem. Trial entered the situation. Tatum began to cry and woke up from her little swing thing. And, you know, she's a newborn. So Kelsey goes, all right, P. We call her Peabody. That's her nickname for Piper, Peabody. Peabody, all right, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to just need to wait. We got to let the jello set, so I just need you to be patient. Okay, mommy. Okay. So what happens is, is what we all know is, well, Kel like there's a trial that enters Piper's life. It's called Tatum, right? And it's like, you've stolen my vision. I feel invisible right now. Mom's attention is on somebody else. You don't see me. So Piper, Piper, if you know Piper, she's awesome. She's strong-willed. She'll probably run this country one day. And I don't know if it's going to be the elected kind of way, okay? She might just take this place over, okay? But here's the deal. Piper decided to take it into her own hands. I see the vision. I've heard the call. I got the promise. So here's what we're going to do. Go ahead and check out this video of what happens. She says this as Kelsey looks at her. She goes, I got some on my hands too. <laughs> Look how cute she is. Look at her. I don't know how that liquid went that far. She must have been like, oh, 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 and just like went everywhere and just made a mess. And guess what? There's no jello now. 
Because it's all over the cabinets and the floor and her clothing. And because she tried to force it, because she saw God's vision, but God was taking longer than she could. Kelsey was taking longer than she thought because she felt like she was in trial. Piper felt invisible. So Piper goes, I'm going to do it on my own. And we all laugh at that, but that's us in our life right now. God's made a promise to you. But it's taking longer than you expected. The trials are harder than you expected. And all of a sudden, you feel invisible. And so you just start taking it into your own hands. I'm just going to do this on my own. And I don't even care if it's a Walmart version. At least it's a version. But every blessing is a curse in the wrong season. How many of us right now, that's us. We're just trying to force God's will in our life. Force God's vision in our life. Force it into our marriage, into our parenting, into our schools, into how we treat our children, into our relationships at work or when we're a boss or in our business. And you just always have a failure to launch. Just like I did on the ramp. It was a failure to launch. Why? Because in order to see God's vision in your life, you're going to need God's provision to get it done. And so there's a person in the story who acts differently than everybody else. And it's not the person you would expect to be the hero in this moment. Jesus is the hero. He calls Hagar back. He's calling you back right now. But Hagar responds in a way that she actually says a name of God that hadn't been said in the Bible before. Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. God talks to, to Hagar and says, you need to go back. The angel of the Lord talked to her. And this is how we all need to respond when we feel invisible. Hagar looks as the band gets ready to come up. We're getting ready to just end in a moment. Hagar looks and says this, verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And Hagar is obedient to God and believes in God's call and she returns home. Hagar does exactly what you and I are supposed to do. She names God Elroy. And Elroy means the God who sees me. In fact, if Hunter's here, Hunter, are you here? Raise your hand. She's in the booth. If you want to see what that name looks like in Hebrew, it's tattooed on her wrist. The God who sees me. See, because when we feel invisible, we will trade everything for a little bit of comfort. But when we feel seen, we will take the leap of faith of what it looks like to walk after God in our life, in our marriage. And some of you just in this room right now, like you need to hear one thing. God sees you. God sees you. He sees your need. He sees what's going on. He sees the anguish. He sees the fear. He sees the anger. He sees the disappointment. He sees the hurt. He sees all of it right now. And I just want to tell you that God sees you. Cody, you beatboxing over there? <laughs> and so what happens in this moment is she returns home. And let me just tell you something. Psalm 27 verse 4 tells us this. Waiting on God takes courage. Waiting and believing that God sees you 
Waiting and believing that even when you feel invisible, you have to tell the lie, the truth, and you have to just proclaim, Elroy, he sees me. And even when I don't feel seen, that hasn't changed him. And I'm going to choose to believe today that I'm not invisible. And he's working it out. Elroy! And you just call on his name right now. See, because the names of God tell us something about who he is. And if his name is Elroy, and he took that name on in the word of God, it means it's true for you too. He sees you right now. You're just going to have to take courage and believe that he sees you. Be courageous, church. Be unshakable in God's call on your life. And you're going to need to choose to believe in the midst of fear. You're going to need to choose to hold on and believe that God sees you because the enemy's always going to want you to feel alone. The enemy's always going to want you to feel invisible because he doesn't have to do much to get you to do some things you never would when you feel invisible. And so he whispers in your ear just like he did Eve's. Did God really say? He doesn't see you. Go ahead and eat that. You'll be like him. You'll be able to meet all your own needs. Because for a moment she felt invisible. And Adam felt invisible. They compromised their call. And here's the deal. As we get ready to pass out communion, we're going to take communion this morning together. We're going to, in this moment, begin to... to Reflect on what the Lord has done for us. We're going to begin to reflect on how good God is to us. Because if you want to know if you were ever seen, you were seen so much that Jesus left heaven and came to earth. If you want to know if you've been seen, you only need to look to a cross where the Son of God died for the sins of the world. And to meet when you felt invisible your greatest need sin and death was conquered on Calvary. And it's in communion that you and I remember and confess and believe and and admit that he lived for us and he died for us and he rose again and proclaimed victory over sin and death because you are seen today. 